I, I, friends, we're going through the book of Mark. John Mark, a real human being, wrote a book about how his life was changed by Jesus 2,000 years ago. We get to go through it today to find out how to be more like Jesus and how to change into the, to the very way that God can use us. That's what it's about today. We're going to notice in today's passage that Jesus does something interesting, and it's uh, done a lot. Uh, in teaching in general, but he's going to repeat himself. He's going to repeat himself three times. He's going to repeat himself a couple times, three times. So when we see the repetition, I want us all to lean into that because there's a reason Jesus repeats himself. Either we're not listening or it's really important and worth being said again or both. Come on. We miss stuff all the time. I really did appreciate uh, Katie and your... Uh, introduction, leading us into worship, how you said, you know, there's so much you just don't understand. And uh, I get that. Sometimes what we don't understand almost makes us move away from the Lord, and yet he's wanting to use it to pull us in. Isn't that weird? But let's just flip it right now, because I'm, just to let you know, I'm uh, the dialed down, modified Marty right now. But uh, no, I'm just letting you know, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to hold it much longer. I'm just, I'm just telling the truth. I want us to flip it for a moment. We've got to flip it. I need to be in the right house today. There's so much that we don't understand about God. Can you imagine what it'd be like to be God? And he made a promise, a covenant. And he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's what he, he did that. It wasn't a token thing. He was all in full heart. He put his heart literally out on our cross in public so we could see what it meant for him to be in a covenant relationship. And he walked on earth in the very beginning from Adam and Eve in the garden who walked away from him. Come on, people. All the way through. And we look at it and we go, I just don't understand God. I wonder if God ever looks at him and says, I don't understand you. Why would you walk away? And in, we've been going through the book of Mark. I hope you're reading it and taking it to heart. Because as Jesus is walking his life on earth as the covenant promise manifest, made real in a real human, real God, that's as good as it gets. He's walking through and the religious people attack him the most. His covenant people are the one who fight him. Can you imagine how he felt leading worship? What more can I give you that can show you that I love you? Why do you fight? Why do you reject? Right? And today I just, I have a sense that they're doing the fire alarm inspection just on time. Because you're going to see at the end of the passage today, we're going to go from Mark 9, we're going from 30 through 50, that Jesus is going to say it's fire time. We're going to see it. I'm not making this stuff up. It's what God said. It's in his book. We're going to read it. But he's going to say at the end, it's fire time, people. And so it makes sense to me that the sprinkler system better work because we're going to catch on fire. We're going to catch on fire. So if that's the end in mind, can we hold on to that and get there? All right. Kurt, you had shared... Uh, Last week, again, I wasn't here, but watched it online. But you had shared 
that outside of prayer, nothing really happens. That was my takeaway from the message. I mean, and it was more than that, but what? But I really was convinced of is outside of prayer, nothing happens. That's our entrance into the spiritual kingdom, and that's the engagement of the spiritual kingdom on earth. That's what I learned from last week. That's a powerful truth. So I show up. So I haven't been here for a month or more, and, and it's not because I'm dodging church. It's because I'm in different towns and different places doing work. So I, I show up thinking we're going to have this same, you know, cool, amazing four to six, maybe eight people here for prayer time because they meet from uh, 10 and, and they pray till whenever. And the room was so crowded that it kind of smelled like little kids' feet in there. For a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I was just sitting in there. I was just sitting in there going, wow, I think we all heard Kurt's message. Yes. People, you don't need... You don't even know how much you're going to catch on fire today. You've been prayed for like fire before you ever even came here today. Anything in any of us needs to be pushed aside right now, and we need to say in our innermost being, come fire of God, come. Anything I don't understand, burn it away. Anything that's keeping me from really loving you, experiencing your life, leaning into you, burn it away. And so that's what today's about. And I just don't want us to miss it uh, because Jesus is going to say this three times today. And he's going to say something else three times. We need to make sure that we hear it. So this is a significant opportunity for us to get to not only look at a book, but literally listen to the voice of God as he speaks to our very hearts. That's what today is. You ready? All right, so I want us to go into the background. The background is... That before we can understand Mark 9, 30 to 50, we're going to do 20 verses today. We're going to do all 20 of them. We're going to have to slow down and speed up. So we're going to have to go back to Mark 8, uh, 31. I just want you to read it with me. Thank you, Yahi, an amazing team for, yeah, there it is. Look at that. You just say it and it just shows up. <laughs> it's so cool. Read it with, uh, no, read it with me, but follow along as I read it. Or you can read it with me if you want to. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I have to stop. This is just amazing to me. All right, so Jesus, he's getting it as straightforward as plain as it can be, and he says, the religious leaders are going to come after me, they're going to kill me, but I'm going to rise again on the third day. It's just, boom, that's what's going to happen. So this is then eight. Peter says, you know what, Jesus is a little bit too far out there. I better take him aside. I don't want to embarrass Jesus, so I'll take him aside. That's literally what's happening. And he said, I'm going to rebuke him. I'm going to set him straight. And Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest but man's. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I'm going to be as straightforward as I can be. That's what Jesus is doing. 
Peter, I love you and I respect you because you rebuke me. And he looks around and his disciples hear it. So now he has to correct them with, so that his disciples can hear, right? You can't let a non-truth go out there by ignoring it. So he says, Peter, just get behind me, Satan. Your mind's in the wrong place. We're going to get to more of that later. But he looks around and he makes sure the disciples see him. So he's, I just want to be really clear. I'm going to be killed. Peter says, no, you're not. Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Jesus looks around at the crowd now. Now it's crowd time. Remember, he's always wrestling with three different groups of people. The religious leaders who are often attacking him, the crowds who are misunderstanding him, and his disciples who don't get him. Isn't that a great group of, to belong to? Which one of us, right? Which one of us is in that group? We're in all three of those camps at times. Come on, don't tell me you don't ever fight the Lord. So Jesus says it, makes it very clear to the crowd. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That's a hard call, friends. I want you to be really clear. If you want to follow me, not only are you going to have to die, you're going to have to be willing to pick up a cross. So he, he's, he's just putting it out there that when you live the way I live, when you walk with me, it's going to be hard. And you're going to have to put down everything the world has to offer. That's your cross. Put down everything the world has to offer. Everything that you think you knew, everything you want, you put all that down, and then you just have to say, I'm enough. Am I in the right room? That's where he's at. So he says it, he makes that clear. Now let's go on to today's passage, just Mark 9, 31, 32. Isn't that interesting? One chapter later, same verses, you know, in context. This is what he says. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they discussed with one another which of them was the greatest? Is that a tough crowd? I mean, that's your inner group. Hey, come on. How many of you go, have gone on family trips with the kids, right? That can be a tough crowd. They're in the back. They're saying all this stuff. Isn't it lovely? We get to be together. He's touching me. You know, it's just it's like, are you kidding? So Jesus says, I, again, to his 12, I am going to die. They say in response, this is so unempathetic. They say in response, which one of us is the greatest, do you think? Are you, it's like, if I was Jesus, I'd drop the F-bomb right there. I would, <laughs> come on. Are you freaking kidding me? I just told you I'm dying. They're going to kill me. Can you not at least get excited? I'm going to be raised on the third day. Does nothing land with you people? Oh, by the way, yeah, Jesus, we heard all that, but which one of us is really your best? It's just amazing. All right. Now let's go to Mark 10, one chapter later. 10, 32 to 34. They were on the road again, going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man 
will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. Man, if I'm Jesus, I'm just going three years, three years of my life, and you're still stuck on this? I'm telling you, I'm about to not only be killed, but it's going to be ugly. It's going to be awful. I'm being vulnerable because it's very volatile. I'm telling you my inner circle. Remember, Peter, James, and John, the inner of the inner. I'm telling you guys. And you're going to sit there and still try to leverage my relationships that you can have some kind of form of glory that you think is going to be in your best interest. All right, let's get real. I told you I was in the right house today. I wanted to be with you. We look and we say, okay, God. Yeah, I'm, you know, we know we believe in you and all that stuff. This is what we need from you. I need a happy life. I need the American dream. I don't even know what the American dream is, but it feels more like a nightmare to me right now. Come on. Compared to who God can be, what I, I want. I want a three-car garage. Then I don't want to be able to put my cars in my garage. I want so much stuff in it, my cars don't fit. I'm in the American dream. I got a storage unit. Woo! Come on, people. God's trying to kill that. Because that is no room as a substitute for the glory of Christ. And when all our stuff gives glory to God, then it's okay. But when our stuff gets in the way, it's stuff. Some of y'all need to do some garage sales before it catches fire. Oh, man. If Tony was here, he'd say, you guys need some insurance. That's what Tony would say. Right. Now I'm just being weird. But anyway, Jesus tells I mean, look, I'm going to die. James and John says, yeah, we've got a question to ask. If you went on and read it, he, said, he says, all right, I'll acquiesce what's your question. He tells them, they tell him, Jesus pushes them a little bit harder. We're going to get to this later. It'll be a fun message for somebody to get to preach on the preaching team later in the 10th chapter of Mark. But Jesus says, okay, you can, you can share in glory. We'll see how it works out. That's my father's business. But I'll tell you this much, you will drink the cup that I'm drinking from. You will drink it. Why? Because you love me. So you're going to go through some stuff. But as far as where you sit and what you do with it, that's on you. That's what we'll see. So anyway, the significance of the background is that Jesus has to tell us three times because we misunderstand him. Because we bring our expectations into our relationship with Jesus and we limit him all the time. This is what I need from you, God. And then if you give me that, I'll give you my life. It's no different than our friend Jacob who said, I'm going to put my head on a stone for a pillow, and as long as you do this and this and this for me, God, then I'll follow you. And God's going, well, it doesn't quite work that way, but I'll meet you where you're at. We'll start there. Isn't that interesting? We'll start there. So he'll start with our weird expectations, but he's not happy to stay there. I've been married 40 years. 
My life today is so different than my life was 40 years ago. Because my wife accepted some of my stuff, but a lot of my stuff she did not accept. <laughs> Come on. And I'm, I knew to marry a strong woman because I knew I was messed up. And it would take a strong person to hold their ground. I'm serious. I knew that in my inner man. I knew I better get someone strong because I'm kind of a mess. Our expectations need to be, come on, God, clean us up. Make us new. If there's anything in me that's keeping me at a distance from you, make me new. If there's things in my relationship with people that keep me from being kind and loving and endearing, make me new. That's how it's supposed to go. If we'll put that mind on, the rest of this is going to make sense. We'll go back to Mark chapter 9, verses 30. You ready to go? All right, so what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to say we're going to create a new mindset. We're going to believe that when Jesus says something, it's true. We know historically that he died. I can't physically unprove nor prove that he was raised from the dead other than the testimony that I can share is that he lives in me. You can't find an empty grave. I mean, you can find an empty grave. You can't find a body. But it's not a data research thing anyway. It's a life thing. You either know his life in you or we don't. But I'm just letting you know that what he said he would do, he did. He died and he said that he would send the Holy Spirit as helper, comforter, as counselor. I love the songs, dude. Just, if you notice, I little jazzed up with the music. It was beautiful worship. But that's true. Every one of those names, friends, is true. That's who he is. If he says it, he does it. That's him. He's God. So anyway, Holy Spirit lives within us now. It's a powerful thing. That's the real truth. The truth isn't we're going to go and try to find uh, artifacts or prove that he was who he said he was. You, I mean, the, the proof, historically, the evidence is there. You can read books about it, but that won't change your life. Giving your life to the one who died for you changes everything. So we need to flip it. And I'm going to ask you to do something with me uh, here. And it's uh, slide number seven. But I want us to imagine greatness from God's perspective today. Can we imagine? So we say, hey, this person's greater, that's greater, this would be great. Can we imagine greatness from God's perspective today? Loving him and giving his love to others is his definition of greatness. Loving him and giving his love that he gives to us, to others, is how he measures greatness, yes or no? And so this is so important that if I was you right now, I'd start clapping, I'd start whistling, I'd jump out, I'd move into, you know, that Liz said, hey, get like a kid. She did some fun moving and grooving. I would not miss this. I'm asking you to be great, that great, right there. I'm not asking us to be mediocre. Let's be mediocre, sort of redeem, change our lives, behave better, church. Kurt won't let us get away with that. We're going to have to be on fire, in love, changing everything for God, church. His definition of greatness. And people, some of us, because we don't have his definition, we're not doing our greatest works. We're doing medium, mediocre works, and then we get bored with it, but let's not blame him. Let's redefine greatness. 
Well, Kurt, you know how you put the notes, they're all going to stand up and jump. I said they were going to turn around because oh, they wanted to change. And so that's what I said. <laughs> that, that right here. They're going to stand up and spin. That's all right. Anyway. Can we really lean into that, people? Yes. Isn't that a beautiful truth? And so that's, that's just the way it is. And I can prove this to you if we have more time. They, they came to him and they said to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus had the greatest commandment. So love your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. And love your neighbor. You want to be great? He defined it right there. This isn't Marty. This is us reimagining greatness from God's perspective and a call from God to be great. He's looking for greatness. And he has given the greatest so that we can. He's not given medium love. He's not given mediocre nothing. All right, let's go. Uh, go to uh, Mark 9.32. Let's go back a little bit. This is what Jesus says, but they did not understand this statement and they were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum and he was in the house. He began to question them. Don't you love that out, Lord? But they were afraid to ask. I can I just saw it, Sarah I can remember a time in my life where our kids actually said, Well, how much do you make? They're afraid to ask us, how much money do you make? Like, they said, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. You know, but why should you be embarrassed? Hey, this is how much we make. God's been pretty good, or it's pretty tough right now, right? It's, but why are we afraid? Why do we feel bad to ask people questions? No, don't ask your neighbor how much they make. <laughs> what I'm saying is sometimes we feel so like nervous. This is God. He knows everything. He doesn't miss a thing. We can ask him anything. We don't have to feel bad. In fact, if we don't understand stuff, we're probably in a good place because we're finally teachable and correctable because we don't think we know everything. It's okay to ask him. But they didn't, so he asked them. And again, I love that about Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, okay, you losers. You should have asked this, and you didn't, and now i got to tell you. Instead, he says, what were you talking about? Now, now you're not all defensive. Now you're open. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. And by the way, they had the wrong definition of greatest. Sitting down. Don't you love that? Hey, hey we need to have a sit-down family talk. That's what he did. <laughs> Sitting down, he called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last and serving the ball. My mom used to say this so clearly because she had seven kids. Lord bless her. Thank you, Mom, so much for loving us. But she'd say, there are two types of people, givers and takers, and you're going to be givers. <laughs> we don't have room for takers. It was like, ooh, we got to talk again. You know, We've been pulling too much from Mom instead of giving to the family, right? There's two types of people in the world, friend, givers and takers. God's calling us to be givers. He says givers are first place, takers are second and last. He's just making it so clear. But that's not all. He doesn't want to just end it like that. And he goes on and he says, taking a child. He set him before them and taking them in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives me, does not receive me, 
but him who sent me. Not only are you receiving me, but you're not really receiving me. You're actually receiving God the Father because the Father's made every child. There's no child that he hasn't missed. He custom designed each and every one of us. And it's his desire that none of us, none of us should perish, but all of us should be redeemed. Jesus said this 2,000 years ago. They misunderstood it then. I, I think we misunderstand this exact same passage as well today as they misunderstood it then. What in the world does this mean? Can I just tell you what I believe this passage means? When he, so we, first of all, yes, be a giver, not a taker. But when he wraps his arm around, he says, I want you to receive him. And when you receive this child, you're not only receiving me, but you're receiving God the Father as well. What I believe that means is this, that we don't have anything we can give to another person until we first receive the love from God. We have nothing to give them. But here's what's beautiful. When we begin to give ourselves to the least, to the ones that, that seems to be the most needy, that's where his heart is already at. That's where he's at work. You've just joined him when you've gone there. You've just joined him when you've taken the least of these. That's where he is at work. So you're receiving him and the Father because him and the Father are working in the life of that person. So we're coming alongside and we're joining in the Father's work. Welcome to the family business. That's what we get to do. We get to love on people. The harder they are to love on, the more they smell, the better the place to start. Yeah. Come on. I'm about to go crazy. And I'm, Mark, I'm trying my hardest to be kind up here. Yeah, I know it. When you and I love the unlovely, we're never closer to God than at that time. Probably. I put my notes, there's two ways. You want to get close to God? Go through adversity or love the unlovely. Want to get close to him? That's the path. Just do things that are really hard for his kingdom because it's going to come. It's going to get hard or love the unlovely and boom, you are in his midst. So that's what he's telling them there. Secondly, if we really want to operate under his greatness and be in alignment to stay the course of being great ourselves in him, number one is don't go sideways, right? And uh, love these folks the way he loves them. That's Mark 9, 32 uh, through 37. Now I want to share another aspect as we look at verses 38 through 41. It's going to say this. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. Poor John, man, that guy. Because Scripture tells us that John and God had a love-love relationship. They really loved each other. So John now just got called out like Peter had gotten called out. It doesn't feel good to be called out. Raise your hand if you love to be called out in front of everybody. No. All right, thank you. Yay, teachable and correctable. I love it. It doesn't feel good. So John does what we would say when we're doing counseling, deflection. John says, oh, yeah, you know, maybe I am guilty, but, but we saw some people worse than us. Jesus is going, I'm, I'm not finished having this conversation with you yet, okay? You had the wrong definition of greatness. We've just recalibrated it. You've turned around, John. You get it now. 
So what I'm asking you is to see when other people are getting it too, don't get in their way. When people are trying to turn around, don't trip them or cause them to stumble. Don't hinder them. You need to be about the business of seeing people turn it around. And so he, he says uh, to him, but Jesus said, do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me, for he who is not against us is for us. You know, th this is amazing to me. We're getting ready to have the next two years are going to be politically charged. Can you hardly wait? I mean, all the, all the commercials now, instead of being 30 seconds, they're a minute and or more, and they're all about who's awful and who's more awful, right, or awfulest. It's like not that enjoyable to me to be in that. But that's where we're moving, where everything's going to be all charged, and it's all going to be villainizing everybody, right? And so we look at this, and we think, is it really that bad to speak evil of somebody? And Jesus is saying, listen, don't even get caught in that. If they're not against us, they're for us. You do what's right, catch them doing something right, and everything's going to be okay. So I'm asking us, can we just be quiet for a while and catch people doing stuff right instead of pointing out what people are doing wrong? In a climate where it's going to be just the opposite. In fact, they're not even going to catch people doing something wrong. They're going to accuse them of doing something wrong when maybe they haven't even done anything wrong. Welcome to Planet Crazy. Isn't it great? So that's, that's, the, that's the landscape. And I need us to acknowledge that's the landscape that we're in. And Jesus is saying, let's be very different. He doesn't want us to miss this. He doesn't like it when we miss this. He says, don't miss it. It's right there. He's going to say, for, in verse 40, it's really small verse. For he who is not against us is, let's just read it together. Would you read it out loud with me? For he who is not against us is for us. Do you believe that or not? That's, that's an amazing truth. And so if that... That's the lens. Let's look for people who are for us, who are for the right things, and let's invest in them and call that out. But let's not run around and find out who we're against or get sideways with that. All right. So he's, he's going to make that uh, clear that we need to not even deflect ourselves when Jesus calls us out, but we're not then to turn around and call out others. That's just so lame. It's better just to do, say, yeah, you know, you're right. I messed up. I missed it. We messed up all the time. Thank you for telling me. Now I'm going to go and catch people doing stuff right and move in that direction. That's what he's saying. Is, does that seem, is that overly simple? You guys are really quiet. All right. <laughs> the, uh, the danger of not receiving correction from the Lord is that you will repeat the mistake and miss more. So when the Lord corrects us, I actually believe that's a good thing. And I have a model of my own life. And I ask God to help me to be teachable and correctable. That's my life motto. And, and that's a hard motto to have. Lord, help me to be teachable and correctable. Because there's a lot of humanness going on. And I live in a human world, right? And so there's a lot of stuff that I just miss. And sometimes I'm just blazing on. I'm mansplaining. I'm doing all sorts of stuff. And I need to, be, I need to have people slow me down and say, you know, this is how the Lord really works. It doesn't feel that good, but I'd rather not feel that good in that moment than continue to be off, right? So if we want to catch on fire, I'm suggesting we become teachable and correctable. 
So anyway, John missed it. God, God being Jesus, said, I'm not going to let you get away with it. I'm going to push you in a little bit more. And so you don't get to go sideways. And here's what's interesting. Did anybody notice what they were talking about? I want to stop somebody from casting out demons. That is a riot to me. Like if there's anything you should be glad about, I don't want to be known as the guy who cast out demons. So somebody else is doing it. I almost want to say, boy, they're doing something really right. Go over to the church next door. They can deal with that demonic problem. And when you're all cleaned up, come back to them. That's what I want to say. And yet they were saying, those are the bad guys. No, those are the good guys. In fact, if we know it, God is very clear. I need you to do three things. You want to be my follower. Number one, I want you to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Number two, I want you to cast out demons. Number three, I want you to pray for the sick. That's what you do if you're a believer. Somebody's actually doing number two, which is really the hardest. And John's going, yeah, we, we, we set him straight. And Jesus is like, oh. I just want us to be known as people that really do walk with the Lord and believe what he says. That's what I want. All right, so then uh, we're through that. Let's go to the next one. Now, Mark. Uh, 9, 38 through 41. So I'm calling this, let's just not shut people down. That's what that is. So let's not blame others. Let's not step away from our own correction. But that, that's really shutting people down. So let's not shut others down up here. And then the last thing, this is in Mark 9, uh, 42 through 50. It says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he'd been cast into the sea. Okay, sometimes I think, you know, Jesus is always this kind, nice little lamb that's all fuzzy. You could cuddle him and snuggle him. This doesn't feel like cuddly, snuggly stuff. This is serious stuff. He's going, listen, I want to make sure you understand. I'm asking you to put your arms around the child. Arms around people who are trying to seek me. I want you to love on them harder than you've ever loved on anyone before. I want you to love on them because that's where me and the Father will love you right now. And if you aren't doing that, and you're actually finding somebody who's seeking me, and you cause them to stumble, it would be better for you to be drowned. I can remember because I'm old enough. I, I like being old. At first, I didn't like being old. But I'm starting to like being old because you live long enough to learn a few things. Uh, so it's kind of nice in some senses. Uh, though I hate glasses, I just want to go on record. I like having 2012 eyesight, and I, I don't even know what my eyesight is now because without my glasses, I can't find my eyesight. But anyway, being old, you get you get to learn a few things, and it's a beautiful, amazing thing to learn some stuff. And I just want to acknowledge that one of the things that I really believe um, that is significant that we can learn is that when somebody takes a step towards Christ. God invites us to support that person. That's our now time. That's our now initiative. That's go time. That's when God flips the switch. To cause somebody to stumble at that point is so contrary to who he is. So you can't mess that up, right? But we do. We're all human, so we make mistakes. I just want to know, when we mess things up, what we do is we say, God, I messed it up. I'm teachable and correctable. Please forgive me. I don't want to do that again. Is it really that straightforward? And the answer is yes, it is. That's how it works. If we, if we lean into that, if we don't lean into that, then we usually continue making the same mistakes. And then he's now coming to correct us because he can't have us working against him because we're in the family business. 
So that's, that's the way it's working here. So what he's saying here is, um, is serious, obviously very serious. Verse 43, he's just going to make it more serious. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Oh, but that sounds good. If it, it's better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire. Okay, this is just getting better. Anybody feeling like you want to clap with no hands? <laughs> this is amazingly harsh, crazy stuff. And I, don't, I think we miss it all the time. We, we often look at it and say, you know, Jesus just loves everybody. It's all love and nobody dies and goes to hell. Jesus say, no, there is a hell. And you go there. And I'm taking everything so serious that if you start causing people to stumble, I'm going to have to make you to where you can't cause people to stumble. Yeah, it, it, it's sobering. Hang, hang in there because it just gets worse. Look at verse 44. Unquenchable fire, 44, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Their worm. We often talk of Satan like a snake. God's going, it's a worm. Their worm, that worm, that demonic worm won't die. It's there forever. Fire's there forever. There is hell. And you say whatever you want, people. Heaven and hell are in the balance and it's a choice of believers to choose. You can't get away from it. I would, I, sometimes I wish I could, but you can't even in your own mind if you think it through. If there is good, there's going to be evil. Everybody's known as every philosopher, whether esoteric or not, they've had to go through that, that phase. And then you're going to have to choose. Do you believe in God or not? If you put good into motion, good comes. If you put evil into motion, evil comes. There is a black hole in space that sucks things in it because there's a physical demonstration of this principle. And once it goes into hell, the black hole, it doesn't come out. And what happens in the black hole, things get condensed, 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 condensed. A planet can be the size of a dime and weigh the size, I mean, and weigh the original planet's uh, dimensions or, or weight. So the dimensions can change. It's that crazy. It's always constricting. So that's in the physical realm. Jesus is saying this stuff's real. Verse 45, if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell, watch this, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Number two, he's repeating himself. Oh, wait, it gets worse. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell. Oh, by the way, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It's interesting to me that God says, here's what's great. What's great is when you receive my love and give it away. What's not great is when we ignore his love and take advantage of other people. Not telling them the truth is a way of taking advantage of them. Why do we not tell the people the truth when God made it this clear? Is that clear? It's like embarrassingly clear. You can't miss it three times. All right, in one paragraph or a pericope in three. Because we don't want to offend people or we don't have people not like us. So out of our fear of offending or having people not like us, we're allowing them to walk into a course of eternal destruction where their worm does not die and the fire is not. 
I just can't be more simple and straightforward than what the word says. I want to live above it. I really do. Now watch this. Is, this is how he's going to end. It's going to move to a good note. This is heavy stuff. The Lord says it's supposed to be heavy. But this is what he says. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is an amazing conclusion to a very hard passage. He goes like this, hey, everyone's going to go through fire. Some people are going to go through fire and end up eternally in fire. Some of us are going to go through fire and come out shining. Some of us are going to come out shining. But guess what, believer? You're going to go through it. Everyone gets salted with fire. Sign me up. Oh, my gosh. That's what he's, am I missing this or am I getting it right, people? I, I feel this is hard stuff to preach. So I need to know that I'm in the right room. Yes, Everyone will be salted with fire. You're going to have to go through hard stuff, but it can transform you. I just showed you the transfiguration. Why don't you get transformed to show others it? When you, listen, he will be our peace. We are his salt. We are the salt. And his glory, he tells us, will fill this earth. He says the earth will be overflowing with his glory. We are his glory here. We got to get shiny or we won't be glory. There's only one way to get shiny. Go through the fire. Go through it. Lean in it. Lean into it. And don't waste it. Go find somebody who's unloved and love on them. Quit accusing them of being in a place of doom. Bring life to them. It's so easy to accuse people. It's so easy to be ugly and mean and rude. Like, gosh, I'm screaming. We always take the easy way out when we accuse. Every accusation is the easy way out. Loving people is the hard way. Jesus is saying, do it the hard way. Do it the hard way. So I'm going to suggest to you that when we do it the hard way, salt's coming. Salt's coming. We saw some salt today, and Katie, I appreciated what you shared because there was salt in her tears. You see the salt in her tears? She walked through some hard stuff. She shared it. It didn't push us away. It drew us closer. We saw a little bit of the glory of the Lord trying to heal us. We got to see that during worship. I think the Lord's looking for some more tears. Some more salt. I can prove to you theologically that the way God's going to have his glory fill the world and overflow it it's through his believers. We're it. We are the glory of the Lord on earth. Come on. We are him here. I know it's a big statement. It's just the way he set it up. He wants to shine through us so he lives in us so that he can. He's dying to get out again. That's what we do. 
Here's how we can let him shine so that his glory overflows when we overcome. We're called to overcome. Overcomers overflow. Overcomers overflow with the glory of God. Because you can't overcome on our own. We overcome because he's loved us. Because his life is in us. His power is at work in us. So I need to be around people who go like this. I'm an overcomer. And so Isaac, I'm just, is Isaac in the house? He's upstairs working with the kids. I saw a tattoo on Isaac's arm. It's pretty impressive. If you're going to make a tattoo, you better be serious about it, right? It was the promise keeper tattoo. Mom, sorry, didn't know where you were at on that. So we just got Isaac in trouble. How cool is that? But, uh, but when you say promise, when you say promise keeper, you're saying I'm all in. I'm all in. We look at God sometimes and we and we wonder, is he keeping his end of the covenant? Yeah, he kept it. When we keep our end, we overcome and he is glorified. So today's passage is a call for his followers, his true believers, to be overcomers, walk through the fire and love on people harder than you've ever loved on them before. We get that, we're in the right, you know, we're in the right place, we're staying the right course. I bless you in this quest, my friends. I'm so grateful to get to be a part of this body. This body inspires me every time to just keep loving him and loving all the other people.